Hi, my name is Todd Gray, Executive Director Treasurer for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. KBC is a network of 2,360 churches across Kentucky that are unified around four tent pegs. Those are a high view of scripture, a commitment to the Great Commission, the Baptist Faith and Message as our doctrinal statement, and then we cooperate through the cooperative program. We have one mission statement that we're created by churches for churches to help churches reach Kentucky and the world for Christ. You're joining us for leadership lessons on Facebook Live. And this is a time to introduce Kentucky Baptist leaders to folks who are in our state, out of our state, who are leading in some place of ministry. Our guest today is Darren Miller. Darren is a pastor, church planter. He's a logger. He also runs a, a nonprofit ministry. Uh, Darren is founding pastor of Riverwoods Church in Benton, Kentucky, uh, with a second campus in Murray. Uh, he's bivocational, a logger by trade, uh, really tri-vocational, leads a nonprofit ministry as well uh, called Riverwoods Recovery. Uh, Riverwoods is a leading church in evangelism in Kentucky Baptist Convention life. In fact, um, they're a church that baptizes in the top 20 uh, of all Kentucky Baptist churches. So imagine 2,360 churches. This congregation is is typically in the top 20 baptized, top baptizing churches. In fact, last year, they have, with about 300 attendees, they baptized 92 people. The year before that, with about 287 attendees, they baptized 129 people. So a strong evangelistic congregation. Darren is married to Carolyn. They have three adult children and Darren, four grandchildren. Is that correct? That's right. <laughs> All girls. You are a blessed man. Uh, Darren, thank you for taking the time to join us today on Facebook uh, Live Leadership Lessons. We appreciate you, and we're glad you're here. All right. Glad to be with you, and uh, more glad to be part of Kentucky Baptist. And really, the relationship with you has uh, helped that a whole lot through the years, and uh, just like what we're doing, where we're headed, and uh, just want to see us reach more people for Christ. Amen. Thank you, Darren. And, and, and back back to you. You're not just a pastor in our state. While I love pastors and I love all of our pastors, you and I have developed a friendship over the years. And like all friendships, just working through becoming friends has meant a lot to me. Uh, so let's talk about Riverwoods Church. Tell us about Riverwoods and tell us when and how it got started. Well, uh, actually, uh, I moved back home. I went to school in Memphis, uh, Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary, started a church while I was going to school. And uh, after graduation, uh, they told me I had to move out of uh, seminary housing. I did, bought a house, stayed there, uh, planted the church, but began to feel a need and a call to come back home. And uh, we moved back home, and God said, wait, when I got here. That's the hardest time in my life. I waited five years. A lot of people said, God's done with you. He's put, put you on a shelf and not going to use you. What have you done? All those kind of things. But uh, and uh, God just said, wait, and I would see the hand of the Lord in the land of the living. And I just held on to that, and I waited five years before we started. And we started Riverwoods Church, and um Started with no money, no buildings, no people, anything. Uh, Self-sufficient. I was uh, working, running my own business and providing my way. Uh, we started forming a nucleus of people, and uh, that kind of grew. Uh, we started meeting privately, and then God kind of said it's time to launch, and we launched. Uh, and um, when we launched, we had 139 at our first attendance. 
and I was off and running from there, and we've been, as they say, drinking from a fire hydrant ever since. Um, but it started with a vision to reach people that were unreached, uh, to reach lost people, unchurched people. Unchurched is kind of one of those terms nobody really knows what that means, but if all you go to church is Christmas, Mother Day, and Easter, you're unchurched in my definition. And so I want to reach people that were either disenfranchised or never been connected to the church. And that's been our vision and still our vision. And so the 10 years ago, 11 years ago, how old is Stargate? It's 11 years ago this past October. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of history for you beyond behind those 11 years. Uh, you've also pastored traditional churches. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. I pastored traditional churches and uh, have started a a couple other churches, been very involved internationally in planning churches, part of an organization that planted churches with uh, one of my professors at uh, MidAmerica, uh, was on the original board of that. But planning churches is just kind of where I, I fit. Uh, traditional established church, I love them, thank God for them. Uh, but if I go there after about three months, uh, they're tired of me and I'm, I'm tired of them because I'm going to be trying to move uh, forward and push the envelope. And uh, just my makeup, God made me as a church planner, and I understand that uh, now. But I have pastored traditional churches, and, uh, and you mentioned something earlier. Every one of them was in, I think, the top 25 of KBC or whatever state we were part of evangelism. So it's just been about trying to win people to Jesus. That's your goal. That's your that's your heart as a person. And then that, that comes into your work as a pastor as well. You said something interesting. I heard you say before, you said in three months that you, that they, they'd be tired of you. You'd be tired of them. I've heard you say before in six months that they'd all be angry and that you'd be bored. And, and <laughs> yeah. those are probably true. Uh, that had to be a little bit of a painful experience to, to realize, like, what's going on with me that I pastor these traditional churches? We see growth but it just doesn't all seem to come together. How, how long did it take you to realize that maybe the Lord had wired you for a little different kind of ministry? Oh, I, I think it took me probably oh, about six or eight years, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. And it doesn't mean they were bad. It didn't mean I was bad. For there to be longevity, there has to be compatibility. And, um, you know, usually they were kind of like, can't we slow down? And I'm like, no, we can't slow down. And, <laughs> And part of that, I think part of that is being a young pastor, you know, and not understanding things. Probably could have handled that much different uh, with the seasons that I've had in my life now than I could when I was young and, and uh, very aggressive and moving forward. And so um, maybe didn't make the wisest decisions in that time. So, But uh, at the same time, uh, I really fit uh, church plants. And the great thing about Riverwoods is uh, usually about two years, I am kind of a little bored. I'm a starter. I like to start things. But the unique thing with Riverwoods Church is uh, that we've had a church planting vision, uh, not just as there been Benton and Murray. There's been other churches that we've planted through the years. And so that's been able to keep me at one place and keep the same vision and always investing in starting other churches and not just sitting, uh, feel like sitting still. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a, I mean, you have an entrepreneurial kind of spirit about you. So uh, Riverwoods is a unique church. Of course, every church is unique. But how is how is Riverwoods unique, even compared to other places where you've served? Oh, uh, I I just think the real commitment and vision to uh, reach people and start churches 
maybe these people here that's part of this team because it was built into our DNA in the beginning. Um, I say this, and I've read this, Bob Logan and somebody else had said that if you don't start a church within the first couple of years, it won't get in your DNA. And so when we started Riverwoods, we created in them the vision. I wanted to start another church by the time we were a year old. It didn't happen, but we brought an intern on, uh, put him on staff and trained him and then sent him out. And he launched on our second year anniversary, he launched his first thing. So that happened very early on in the church. So it got that built into the DNA here. I think that's the biggest uniqueness of Riverwoods compared to anywhere else. They understand planting churches is the most effective evangelistic tool that there is. And Darren, there are lots of good churches in Benton, Marshall County, Callaway County, your, your area, and they're, uh, they're, reaching, they're reaching people. But the Lord's allowed Riverwoods to kind of reach maybe in a little different uh, different segment of the population. Can you describe that for us a little bit? Uh, yeah, uh, we it's always been that way. But the last several years, maybe getting close to five years now, we've run a recovery ministry that operates uh, through the church. And so with that. People are sent to us from uh, jail, bond condition. They're sent to us by probation and parole and other things. And, I mean, uh, I, I kind of say it this way. It's who God's created us to be. It's who he has us to reach, and I'm comfortable with that. I'm, I'm not sure everybody would be comfortable with those people coming uh, to their church, but our church is, and the people that are part of the leadership here are very comfortable with that. feel like that's God's call, God's mission to us. And we don't reach them all, but we see a bunch of them reached and their life changed. So, I mean, uh, I was in a life group one time. I'll just share this in a life group that I was leading one time. And I think we had 19 people in that life group. And I asked the question, how many in here has been to jail? And only two people in that life group had never been to jail. Okay, That was my wife and another lady. Everybody else in there, including myself, I'd been in jail in younger years of, of my life. And uh, we're not bragging about that. We're not boasting about it. But we're also realizing that Christ can do a work in those people's life. And so that's very unique. But really, from the beginning, we've been about reaching unchurched people. One Sunday, I was preaching across the street from where your building is located. I was at First Baptist Benton, another great church. And you had a, a close friendship with their former pastor, Don, Don Wilson, and you may have met their new pastor as well. But um, so we had our services at First Baptist, walked outside, Connie and I did, and you all were doing an outdoor service in the, the kind, of, kind of court square. And you had um, you had two or three hundred people probably gathered that day. You had a, a water trough there baptizing folks. It was an exciting service. But another Sunday, I, I preached at Riverwood. You invited me in to preach. And I remember you telling me ahead of time, this never happened before, but you said, um, do you have to wear a tie when you go when you go preach? And, and I said, no, I don't have to. And, of course, you preferred I, I didn't, and, and the, the dress was more casual. But in the service, I often use an illustration about police officers. And so I asked the congregation, I said, how many of you, do any of you all have a law enforcement background? So everywhere <laughs> I ask that question, there's always two or three folks in the congregation who are either police officers, prison guards, something, you know, everywhere. And and you turned around and laughed <laughs> and spoke up from the crowd and said, ask him if you've been in the back of a police car. You'll be a different answer. And, and so uh, the, the Lord has uniquely positioned your church 
to uh, reach a, a group, a, a segment of the population that just like everybody needs the gospel. So I'm grateful for your for your ministry. Um, Darren, tell us where you've seen God at work in, in the, the life of, of one or two uh, people at the church. Well, uh, of course, immediately the first uh, person that comes to mind would be Randy McDaniel. He came to us through our recovery ministry, uh, court ordered, came in that time, saw him make some decisions uh, for Christ, um, follow him in believer's baptism, um, begin serving and giving back, and then later on as he's here, called to preach. Uh, after being called to preach, felt like he was called to school, uh, enrolled at Clear Creek uh, 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 Baptist Bible College, I guess is what it's mm -hmm. called, Clear Correct. Creek School. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, was going there. Uh, we're helping him, other people helping him uh, go to school. And we just had a thing to shift at our Murray campus. Um, and we talked to Randy. Uh, prayed about it. He prayed about it. And so now he's back here. He's actually the uh, client director of our Riverwoods Recovery Ministry. And he is campus pastor at our Murray campus. And I can't go into a lot of detail, but things are in works for him starting a church in a neighboring county. In fact, I had lunch with him and a young man that's from that county uh, that I think is going to connect with that and be part of that original what I would call lunch team. Some people call it a core group. I call it lunch team. And uh, just before we had this meeting. And so uh, that's coming together. COVID, it's kind of slowed that down and paused that some. But uh, once everything kind of gets back up and going, uh, Randy will probably become the pastor of that campus. But how exciting to see someone come in through the recovery ministry, receive Christ, grow in the Lord to the place of service, and then from there, experience a call, go to a traditional Bible college. And Randy lived on campus. He went to work while he was at Clear Creek for the school. And then now he's he's back with you uh, in the church serving. Just, just incredible testimony of God's grace through your ministry. I'd just say this. Over half of our leadership at our church now, and I'm talking about of our team leaders, we have seven key teams, uh, and of those over... Over half of those teams are led by people that came into our church through uh, the recovery ministry, and they stayed at the church, and now they're giving back. Uh, we even have uh, one person on what we call our uh, leadership team that is in a lot of churches be called the deacons or that, but we call it our administrative team, and uh, it's who I'm accountable to, who helps me, and main directors, uh, leaders of the church. And uh, we have a guy that's on that team that came through Riverwood's uh, recovery, uh, got right with the Lord, married him and his uh, girlfriend at that time. Uh, they got married, and now he's on the, I guess what you'd call, for lack of a better way to say it, highest leadership team of our church. And uh, I, we don't have any barriers for people. I mean, you know, sometimes it's hard to break into leadership and that at churches you know they kind of feel like okay you can come and give and that but not give you a voice we early on wanted to try to pull that barrier down uh, so that new people could feel like not only could they come but they actually had a voice here and so well, that's been pretty key for us well it's a very welcoming congregation I, I get to preach in lots of different places i love getting to go to river woods it's an <laughs> exciting exciting church you work a guy to death i think the last time i preached 
I preached three services. I started pretty early in the morning and probably drove down that morning from Louisville and then finished up in the afternoon at Murray. Darren, what's, uh, how has the COVID-19 time impacted you all in the last three months? What are you doing different because of COVID? Well, during, uh, during COVID, of course, we've been streaming our services for a long time. Uh, with the Murray campus, uh, we stream uh, that over there now. We didn't do that for a long time, but we had in recent time. We just gone through a lot of updates to make that better and the quality better, so that worked out really well. Um, but just uh, we just had to keep. We went for a while without meeting our recovery ministry or church or anything, and uh, of course we streamed the services on Sunday, and a lot of people logged in and watched and that. But we sent take-home stuff for kids. Uh, it happened a little bit before Easter, and we made sure that we did something that each of the children that come to our place and even some other people that don't come to our church heard about it and messaged us and asked us to come. We did it to their house, uh, uh, some Easter eggs and stuff of that nature. Uh, we did a take-home uh, church for the children one time, and a local pizza place here gave us pizza boxes, and we turned them inside out and put everything in them, take home church on the outside, took it to our kids. And inside there, they had a little cutout, like a coloring thing of Jesus. They're supposed to color it and then take it with them and take pictures of them and their family, you know, uh, what they were doing. And Jesus was with them and just some stuff like that to stay connected. We took uh, stuff to every uh, mother that come to our church, uh, hugs and kisses on Mother's Day. And, um, and as far as, uh, you know, meeting and being together. I don't know how long that's going to take to be regular. We actually had our first back together service last Sunday. Uh, attendance of oh, a little better than maybe half at our Benton campus, about half at our Murray campus, something of that nature. Still several watching online. Be a little while before they come, but I understand that and, and gracious with that. Great thing is, giving's been up, not down. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a crazy. I, it was one of the, the biggest things that I was kind of concerned with, and a lady that's at our church that handles our finances and, and used to be vice president of the bank, uh, had several people contact her, and she'd teach them how to get online, do online giving. So we had... I don't know, probably 10 or 12 new people start online giving and that. So, well, that was really encouraging. I've really bragged on our people about that. They've done a great job. Darren, we could echo that brag all across the state of Kentucky. It's been amazing to hear from pastors who, who've shared the same testimony. Some churches experienced some dip in giving, but most have seen close to the same or even beyond normal. So just, again, a testimony of, of four members saying, I love my church, and I want to make sure it doesn't uh, suffer financially. During this time, well, you I have a one other thing about that. Last Sunday was our first time to have services, uh, and this was we didn't have any services at all for 13 weeks. This was our 14th week, and uh, man, I like seeing people baptized because it represents they've come to Christ. We baptized somebody at Murray campus last Sunday, and we baptized somebody at Benton campus last Sunday, so that was exciting. Very exciting. You're getting back in the swing of things. So let's talk about your your uh, second your second job, or maybe this is your primary job, and then you have your ministry. So you're a logger by, by trade. Um, some of our folks may not even know what logging means. So give us a tell us what logging is and uh, what's involved. Well, most people use lumber. Uh, lumber comes from trees. Uh, logging is getting the trees from the field or the woods to the sawmill. All right. 
And so we cut the trees and we top them, cut the top out of them, drag them out to a loading location, cut them in desired lengths, load them and haul them to the sawmill. Uh, I don't, uh, saw logs don't uh, do anything to do with the lumber end or the sawmill end. I just provide them to the sawmill, deal with landowners that own the woods, um, make a deal with them, and then put the product to the sawmill on the market. Yeah, And so use uh, chainsaws to cut them down, uh, pretty good sized chainsaws, <laughs> and uh, log skidders uh, to drag them out. I have knuckle booms and I have log trucks, and so quite a bit involved, really. There are a danger involved in, in logging. You operate with heavy equipment and, and, and chainsaws, as you mentioned. Have you have you had first folks hurt on the job? Uh, seriously? Yeah, we we have in in the past. Uh, thankfully, nothing. You know, uh, one guy got got hurt. wasn't sure that he would recover, but he did. Uh, he was back to working. Most of the time, it's uh, you know hit with something or maybe broke a leg or something of that nature, but it is usually in the top three most dangerous professions uh, in the world, and the danger end of it's the guy that's cutting the trees down. Uh, most deaths occur within like 10 or 15 foot of the stump uh, well, where they occur. Yeah, Darren, I, I, used to, I sold chainsaws for a living before I surrendered to ministry and outdoor power equipment, um, commercial lawnmowers, et cetera. We were a wholesaler. But I worked with a lot of a lot of logger uh, chainsaw dealers who sold the loggers, and uh, you'd see a lot of these guys who had a, a cut across their lip where a chainsaw had kicked back. And um, is it true that that a lot of the injuries happen when you just become too comfortable and too familiar with the work, and maybe kind of think yeah, you're off the You just have to stay on top of respecting it and knowing knowing the danger, uh, and. If you just get to where you're careless or not paying close enough attention, that's when it when it usually happens. Or think that you've got it mastered and you don't have to worry about it. Uh, it can become dangerous. You just have to pay attention all the time. You just have to be aware of that. How does your bivocational work, having a, a, another primary job, source of income, uh, how does it help you relate better to the folks that you're serving in the church, especially the fact that you're doing manual labor as a log, as a, I mean, you're logging and you're on a logging business. How does it help you relate to the folks that you're serving? Uh, a couple things. Uh, whenever we started the church, I didn't, I didn't take any, and I'm not suggesting that somebody else do this, okay? Uh, but I didn't get paid anything for at least the first couple of years after the church started, uh, and that may have been more my choice than the church's choice. Um, I run my own business and made a sufficient living for my family. So it's helped the church not only then, but even even since then to be able to give back financially. Uh, they pay me. They pay me well now. Um, for our size church, uh, you, you'd be amazed at what they, they pay me. But because I'm working, a lot of times I'm able to provide something or give that money back. And so it's been a financial help. To the church when you're planting churches and we've planted uh six now <laughs> since riverwood started uh that's a big deal uh money is but as far as relating to people uh they don't just see me as somebody who's just sitting in the office sometimes 
uh, it's not justifiable. Sometimes people think pastors just sleep late and uh, don't do much. I wish that they didn't, but they do. You know, they'll call you uh, 10 o'clock and they're like, uh, you still in the bed? I'm like, well, no, I'm not in the bed. I haven't been in the bed in six hours, man. You know what I mean? But oh, I've been asked that a lot through the years. I haven't since I've been at uh, Riverwoods and working. Um, I started pretty early, but uh, that, and then the other thing, probably the type of job I have and the personality I have, we have a lot of men uh, at church. I think I'm a man's man. I think they relate to me. I can relate to them. Uh, we're a very blue-collar church, and I think that's representative of who I am and my personality and what I do for a living. It makes makes perfect since, uh, but you were also a mortician before you got into uh, ministry and, and logging as well. So that's part of your background. Uh, also. Yeah, I was a licensed funeral director and embalmer. I used to say that around here a little bit, and they, they made fun of me, so I quit saying that. I, now if I say it, I said I used to work in the funeral industry. So, uh, But uh, my kids probably started that uh, kidding me about it more than anything. But yeah, I did, and I and I was, and God uses everything in your life, uh, and maybe, just maybe, some of my passion for evangelism came from that. Uh, so that makes sense to me that connection, and we're about to, we're going to talk about evangelism. So let me let me give a little setup then, and maybe you would follow up on that statement of, of that passion for evangelism. You are an evangelistic leader. You've created an evangelistic culture at Riverwoods. That church expects folks to be saved. They expect to see new people coming in and being baptized. It's part of your history. Um, Tim Booker, professor of evangelism at Southern Seminary, makes this statement about churches and evangelism. He says, a church will drift into fellowship, but it must be led into evangelism. In other words, just leave a church alone. They're still going to fellowship, but it takes a leader to get them to become evangelistic. I think it was James Merritt that said, if evangelism is not at the top of your list, it won't even be on the list because huh. everything else will push it, push it off. So how do, you, how do you help a church stay focused on reaching people? And then also, how does that, maybe that dealing with death and the funeral industry, how does that impact your passion for evangelism? Well, uh, I think the reality of death, and it's not just for the old, it was any age or whatever, uh, I think that probably centered well uh, for me. Uh, I think also my passion for evangelism was born out of prayer. And uh, whenever I would talk with people, if they didn't know the Lord, I would write their name down. And I kept a whole list of people, and I would pray over those names every day. And some days I would come to a name, and God had burned my heart about that name. And I'd just spend more time praying for that person then the first opportunity I had, I'd try to get to that person and talk to them about the Lord. And I found that oftentimes those people would come to Christ, hadn't come to Christ earlier, but when I was burdened for them, they would come to Christ. And so I come up with a phrase, probably others have said it, and that is that if you'll learn to talk to God about men, you'll learn to talk to men about God. Yeah. And uh, God just gave me a real reality of hell. I uh, won't go into a lot of detail, but in, in prayer and that uh, one time, uh, it become very real to me, and he let me see the reality of it. And so then the reality of death and the reality of hell probably created that passion. Um, but that's just uh, from early on since I led my first person to Christ. Uh, somebody says, you know, we have a lot of addicts around Riverwoods. Are you addicted to anything? 
and I'd say, yeah, I'm addicted to seeing people come to Jesus, and uh, he changes lives, and uh, it's just been part of a heartbeat all along. I don't know, just something that God put in me. I don't know if anyone who gets more excited about seeing lost folks saved than than uh, you, Darren. Um, so your your entire strategy at Riverwoods is about reaching people. It's just kind of built into your culture. What are you What are you doing specifically? If you could help us think about how how do you do evangelism at Riverwoods? How, how does it take place? Well, it take well. We do training probably a couple times a year to train people. Uh, we train. Uh, uh, what we would call a prayer team and an altar team that's ready to talk with people. Uh, we've created next steps. We try to make it easy for people to come to Christ. Uh, I'm very evangelistic in my invitation and trying to lead people to come to Christ. And uh, we've worked on that a whole lot, and God's allowed it to be effective. I've gotten where I don't do a real strong evangelistic invitation every Sunday. Uh, I probably do it about every three or four Sundays. I found if I do it every Sunday, people can kind of harden their heart to that a little bit. And so when you don't push it as strong, except every three or four Sundays, I've seen a better response to that. Um, just, I mean, we try to teach all of our people, our life groups. We have people come to Christ in our life groups. We do a lot of outreach events. Um, we're trying to connect with people and get to know them. We just, I don't know, it's just woven into every fabric of Riverwoods Church, seeing people come to Christ. Are there uh, many times, Darren, when you sense the church drifting away from from that, that heartbeat and passion and you've had to try and, and bring the church back? Uh, there have been a couple times. Usually that's when I've drifted away from it, uh, to be quite honest. As the leader goes, so goes the people. And I uh, had to refocus myself. Uh, I mean, we all do that. We have periods where we're we're in and out. If somebody says they're just red hot all the time, I kind of question that. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I sense that about myself. We usually try to have at least once a year some kind of effort uh, to where we gather names to pray for people uh, that don't know Christ. And we usually make that a four or five week long thing that we do. And so... Uh, gather those names and keep them visible in front of the congregation like who's you one that came out as really really great a great tool uh and we would have done something again but covid hit and so uh those uh, we put them in glass tubes a little part you tear off and put a name on it and they're still on our platform we had somebody give their testimony at celebrate recovery last night that their name was put in one of those tubes a few years ago and we prayed for them and not long after that, they come to Christ, and not only that, they got their life right, and then they shared their testimony last night. So it's just prayer. If you learn to talk to God about men, learn to talk to men about God. I believe it's some people are only going to come into the kingdom when they're prayed into the kingdom. Darren, you so you, I mean, the church is very evangelistic. You you are there as a leader. So apart from your your connection to Riverwoods, are there other times when you get to share the gospel? And if so, how does that happen? How does evangelism show up in your everyday life? Oh, uh, there's a great book by Nellie Pickard, one of the most recommended books I've ever had. It's probably not in print yet to find a used copy. What do you say when? I read that early on in my life and ministry, and it was just everyday life situations where she talked about how she went from a conversation to talking about the Lord. 
you know, we don't do a Tuesday or Thursday night visitation. I've done that in the past. Uh, we do a lot of outreach, connect with our community in that. Uh, here's what I found. If I can just teach people to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, they'll see pe more people come to Christ on accident than we can on purpose. And, uh, and you'll just be in everyday life. Something will come up, and God will just give you a word to break right into sharing the gospel with somebody. I do that all the time. My wife says I'd talk to a stop sign if it stands still. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably that's probably true. So, Darren, as long as you've been at it, uh, 10 years at Riverwoods, also other places, there's there, there's no doubt you've seen something that looks like a false start maybe in somebody's life where they make a profession of faith, get baptized, and either not much fruit on the other side or they slip back into old patterns. Does that ever happen where, where you are? Or everywhere I've been. <laughs> uh, that happens. We see a lot of people, you know, uh, make a decision, come forward, and they try to understand that, and then they really come to Christ. Why did I make that decision? I, I'll use uh, something that somebody else said, and uh, that is that maybe you made that decision so you'd be around to make this decision so that you could make a real one. I don't get real hung up on that. That happens whether or not it's genuine. Somebody comes forward or if I'm talking to somebody and they're not sure, I'm going to go ahead and lead them to come to Christ. And here's what I do. I learned this from Dr. Gray Allison. And after I lead them to come to Christ, I tell them to pray and ask God, was that time in the past real or this time real? Don't matter to me which time was real, just that it's real. 90% of the time or more, they'll say this time was real. And uh, so I just learned that from him, and so I've adopted that in my ministry. Uh, I'm sure I've led some people that I thought come to know the Lord that didn't. That grieves my heart. I try to be very careful. I try not to pick green fruit, uh, really try to make sure the Holy Spirit's dealing with them. They're not going to come to Christ if the Holy Spirit's not dealing with them. It's a spiritual birth. And so do everything I can to protect that. But at the best that we can do, we're going to miss it sometimes. And so... Just do the best you can. Be as careful as you can. Try to make sure they're ready, especially somebody that's younger. I try to make sure they're really ready to try to protect that. But they do, and it happens, and just make the most of it and go on. Great counsel. Great great advice. So you mentioned two people. You mentioned Nellie Pickard in the book, What to Say When. I think that you recommended that book to me. I believe I found an out-of-print out of copy of it and, um, and read it. And then you also mentioned Gray Allison. Anyone else who's influenced you evangelistically? Uh, Gray Allison would be one of the strongest ones. Steve Wilkes has uh, motivated me probably more from an evangelistic standpoint toward missions, maybe than personal evangelism. But, uh, uh, I mean, he wanted to see souls saved. He loved souls, and I think that was contagious. It uh, didn't take a whole lot of that for me by the time I got to, to seminary. That was kind of part of my DNA of who I was. I remember Dr. Gray Allison. I took his evangelism class intentionally. Uh, and He taught it really early in the morning. I went and took it uh, four days a week uh, in the summer. And uh, he taught it. I can remember him standing in the class. And uh, he would talk about parts of the world. He said, you know why we go? He said, because he'd do his hands like this, they're lost. They're lost. And he'd talk about different parts of the world. And he'd talk about personal evangelism. I'd sit in his class every day and weep while that man talked. 
Dr. Gray Allison gave me his uh, uh, PhD uh, papers that he presented for his, he did his own evangelism. He gave those to me, and I've used his material to teach evangelism in the, in the past and overseas when we would do some stuff in the church planning ministry that I uh, was part of. Um, and so uh, even early on before that, this will be a name, I don't know if anybody will know, Percy Ray. Uh, Percy Ray was friends with my wife's grandfather well, in Camp Zion. As a young preacher, I went to Camp Zion. And uh, Camp Zion and Dr. Ray's uh, passion for souls probably caught on to me, probably from my uh, wife's grandfather uh, was passed on to me. So there's been some real, very effective evangelistic people that I've had the privilege to be around. And uh, not only did they teach it, but I called it and thank God for it. Yeah, I'm so thankful for those people, their influence in, in, in your life. Let's talk about the Riverwoods Recovery and Celebrate Recovery. So uh, a lot of our folks will have heard about Celebrate Recovery, uh, an addiction ministry for folks with hurts, habits, and hangups. I think some of the language that is that is used. And then Riverwoods Recovery is unique to your, your church. And so talk about that a little bit for us. Celebrate Recovery, of course, is a worldwide ministry now. It came out of Saddleback uh, Church. John Baker, founder of that, brought in to lead that kind of ministry on staff at uh, Saddleback. And, of course, it's adapted in that. It's, it's basically it's a 12-step uh, ministry program, uh, and but it names the higher power. It names Christ at the center of it. And uh, so we use that. We do celebrate recovery here. And it's not just for addiction. Some people think it's just for drugs and alcohol, but it's for any, as you said, hurt habit or hang up. I mean, it's good for somebody going through grief or codependency, whatever, depression, whatever they might be facing. They're going to find it to be very helpful. It's proven. It has a solid track record, and it's proven. We started Celebrate Recovery here. And out of Celebrate Recovery, we started Riverwoods Recovery. We had a local public defender approach us, uh, wanted to try to use Celebrate Recovery to get people out of jail as a bond condition to come to that, uh, and us test them. And uh, basically, I told him we can't do that. Celebrate Recovery has the policy of anonymity. I said, but we can start a ministry and call it Riverwoods Recovery. And said they'll come to three meetings a week. They'll go to Celebrate Recovery. Uh, which happens once a week. They'll go to church, and then they'll go to thing that we call Riverwoods Recovery, and that's where they work on the step study material that's produced by Celebrate Recovery. So uh, we got around that, and I said we can charge for them to come, and we can test them, and we can report. We got ready to present that, and the sitting uh, judge retired early, and so we had to hold off. Didn't know who was going to become the judge. The guy that's public defender decided to run for the judgeship, got the judgeship, won it very handedly. And so then, you know, he was able to send people to this program. Doesn't just send them to us. There's some other programs that people can go to as well. Uh, but they come to us as a bond condition. Uh, we randomly drug test them once a week at least. Uh, they go to three meetings a week. Of course, that ceased during COVID, but we started everything back up this past week. And so that'll be getting uh, back on track. And we've seen God do some miraculous things. I tell them, you know, when they come in, you may have come here to get out of jail. Yeah, you got out of jail, but that's not why we started this program. We started this program for people that's ready to see a change in their life. If you're just here to get out of jail, 
you won't make it. But if you're ready, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and ready for a change, you're at the right place. And a good number of them are ready for a change. Aaron, you mentioned some numbers a while ago. You mentioned Randy's story. He was a, a product of, of Celebrate Recovery and Riverwoods Recovery. What what would you guess, what percentage of your Sunday morning attendance is connected in some way, that came in some way through CR or Riverwoods Recovery? Through, through the history of it, it's been about a fourth of our attendance is yeah. about, about what it's been. There's times that it's higher than that, time that it's lower. Right now it's lower during uh, COVID. They weren't really arresting people and uh, putting them in jail and sending them to us. And so those numbers are off a little, a little bit now, um, but typically about a fourth of our attendance. What are some of the challenges with, with running a recovery ministry in a local church? <laughs> Oh, frustration. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you think somebody's doing good. I, I just state this. I'm just being honest. They'd rather lie to you when the truth would do better. And you just have to learn that and know that. Uh, have to be a velvet covered brick uh, as a person. And, uh, and sometimes you have to be a little bit strong. Uh, maybe you don't want to be, but you have to be. And uh, just have to be ready. People will use you and try to do anything they can to get over on you. And you just got to learn that. And for most of them, it's not that they're bad people. They just have something that's driving their life. Uh, they've got, you know, you've heard a monkey on their back, and they, and they do. But I want you to know Jesus loves them, and we love them. We, we love them the way they are, and he does too, but we love them too much to leave them that way. And um, so that's kind of our motto. Yep. Um, so if, if you were talking to a pastor, church leader, who was considering starting a recovery ministry, what counsel or advice would you give them? I'd start with Celebrate Recovery, I, I believe. Get that under your belt well because you're going to need people to help lead. I mean, it takes a great number of people for us to do our CR and our RR. We actually have about four people. Uh, now we have five people on staff, uh, not all full-time, uh, but on staff to run our Riverwoods Recovery. We have court representative, client representative, assistant, uh, Murray client representative, Benton client person, all of those things. And so uh, you've just got to be ready. And uh, it's going to be slow in the beginning. There's going to be a lot of heartaches. But the thing is, the, the, the success stories way outweigh uh, the heartaches. If you're not careful, because there's so many that seem to not do well. If you're not careful, you get your eyes on them and you forget about the ones that God's changed their life. And so I would say, if you do, man, celebrate the victories. Don't get discouraged over the, the failures, uh, but be ready. It's hard work. I mean, it's hard work. I mean, it's a, it's almost a 24 seven ministry and prospect really. Darren, my guess is that you probably have lots, you have families in your church that are connected to to a person who's coming out of addiction. If a, if a, a, a family has a son who's in addiction and he receives help through Riverwoods Church, that family probably loves your church. You know they do. <laughs> uh, I can name several people right now. We've even had uh, people attending church because their children have done well. Is from a very different denominational background than we are. But we're seeing them come to our church now. And one of the reasons is God's impacted their family's life. Yeah, and, and they've seen it firsthand. They see the difference. 
Yeah. Let's talk about leadership. So uh, you're a leader. You're leading a church. You lead a business. You, you lead a, a nonprofit ministry. How would you define leadership? I think, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. So a leader, <laughs> a leader's following somebody and going somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and he has somebody following him. If nobody, if, if you think you're a leader and you turn around, and nobody's following. You're not a leader. <laughs> That's what E.B. Hill said. He said, you're just taking a walk. There you go. <laughs> so uh, what, what has God used to shape you as a, as a leader? What are some, some things in your life that have helped you develop and grow in, in leading people? Uh, I would say probably my dad. Yeah. Uh, he led a business and led his people. And, uh, you know, I, I like what Dr. Laverne Butler said when it comes to leadership. Some people think they're leaders. They're just a hound dog leader. And uh, he said, let me explain that. Picture a, a team and wagon going down the road, and there's a dog out in front barking. It looks like that dog's leading. But it comes to a crossroads, that dog sets down, waits and sees which way the team's going to go, and then he jumps back out in front again. Uh, I've always said this, I'm not a hound dog leader. I'm going to lead to the crossroads and through the crossroads. And I've tried to be very transparent with that. You're going to make mistakes. All leaders make mistakes. Own it. Uh, confess it. Say I'm sorry. Did the best I could. And then jump out in front again. Yeah. I love the illustration of the hound dog leader. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've just never heard that. Never heard that phrase. But but you're right. A leader's trying to go somewhere. It's not it's not in front following the the uh, the herd. So you mentioned mistakes and missteps. Um, have you made any rookie mistakes in your ministry? And any any you'd like to share with us? Oh well, I don't really want to share, but I will. <laughs> uh, we we much rather celebrate our successes. Don't matter fair. Probably early on, I was. Uh, too aggressive, too strong, didn't have enough wisdom, tried to push too hard. Uh, the second church uh, that I pastored, I probably left too soon, and it was more my fault. Uh, yeah, there were issues. Every church I pastored's grown, and whenever the new people begin to outnumber the existing people that was there when you came, there's going to be conflict. If I was back there now, I think I could have handled that a lot better. Uh, I probably left too soon, uh, should have stayed. Like one guy said, after I resigned, I, we baptized five after I resigned. Uh, I gave a month's notice, you know. And uh, he said, uh, preacher, he said, you was on top of the waves, and all you had to do was ride it out to the beach. And he was right, and I left too soon. No telling what the impact would have been. But, you know, I've learned something with God when you uh, don't, pass the exam you know what you get to do yeah you get to do it over <laughs> get over again so i got to take it over <laughs> yeah. every every um every troubled person i tried to leave at a church was already at the next church i went to before i got there just had a different name and even yeah. a different gender yep. yeah so the lord's gonna see to it we learn those life lessons those important ones yeah i think uh another thing probably sometimes that my i'm a very visionary person i'm future focused and and sometimes I'm too future-focused that uh, if I'm not careful, I'll run off and leave everybody and not celebrate the moment. Uh, I'd rather be too future-focused than rear-view-focused, uh, but that's just my personality. I began to realize that, and so I've had to s slow that down a little bit, make sure everybody's catching up with the vision. 
Yeah, that's excellent. So uh, think about leadership, whether it's lay leaders in the church at Riverwoods or ministry leaders that you've been, been around. What are two or three traits that you think every Christian leader needs? Risk. Able to take risk. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, not be maintenance-minded, be growth-minded, I think, forward-focused. Uh, maintenance, uh, I have a lot of friends that tell me I'd like to do what you're doing, but, uh, man, if I did that, they'd run me off or they would leave. And so that comes back into risk. And, and listen, don't worry about maintaining. Take new ground and, and trust God, I think. Uh, that uh, risk and faith kind of goes together there. That's very encouraging. So with le leadership comes challenges. Some of those challenges are personal. Uh, some show up in fatigue or burnout. Lots of pastors are experiencing burnout. In fact, right now, I would guess in, in Kentucky and all over the country, the pastors have run hard for three solid months, many without a break, and they've done had to do things different than they've done them ever and so they're experiencing some fatigue and challenges some have experienced criticism you opened too soon you didn't open the building soon enough um, you're hearing it from every side so jim henry former sbc president cited hb london uh, years ago saying that 1600 pastors a month um, leave the ministry that number's been challenged it's not an accurate number but whatever the number is it's still too many uh, I had Russell Moore on here last week from ERLC. He cited three pastor acquaintances in his life that had just committed suicide. So not just burnout, but reaching a place of desperation where they, they, they couldn't live any longer have, have, or felt like they couldn't. Have you experienced low times in your ministry? Yeah, I have uh, um, more than once. Uh, I have. I can remember uh, back about three years ago uh, now, maybe, uh, no, it's two years ago now, a little earlier than this. Um, I stepped up one Sunday on the platform, and I stood there uh, to get ready to preach. I've never done anything like this before, wouldn't recommend anything like this at all. And I stood there, and I was just empty. And I just looked at him. I said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I walked off. Uh, that's not the wisest thing to have done. And I can remember one lady hollered out, we love you, Pastor Darren. As I went out the door, my leadership team contacted me. They recovered, and, and I told them I don't know what I'm going to do. And I took several weeks to pray through that. Thank God they were patient with me to pray through that and felt like God told me to stay here. Uh, and so I did, and I have. And since then, when we've seen most of the baptisms, I'm like, Wow, what would I have missed out on, uh, you know? But I've gone through a lot of uh, turmoil and trouble, and our church went through a very difficult period of time, some at uh, my own peril, my own mistake that I made, some others just being people, you know. And um, trying to recover from that really faced a real low time. That'd be the lowest time in, in my ministry at all, my whole time. But thank God he brought me through. Thank God for a very understanding uh, church and leadership team that prayed with me, saw value in me, respected that. And so, uh, man, um, I hope I don't go through that uh, again. Uh, probably just fatigue and pressure and turmoil and depression, all of those things uh, combined together. 
Darren, there's been a lot spoken in recent years about how to divorce proof your marriage. If you were to think about burnout proofing your ministry, what are what are two or three things that you try to have in your life that keep you from reaching that place of burnout? Uh, well, first of all, uh, uh, for me, it's having my leadership team that understands that. For me personally, I'm just going to have to. I'm 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 not going to preach every Sunday. Uh, I used to want to preach every Sunday. I'm not going to preach every Sunday. God's given us several people around Riverwoods Church that can preach. Not only called to preach, but lay leaders. Uh, that can speak, and so on a regular basis, I have one of them. Uh, last couple of years, I've taken a sabbatical both years. I probably won't take one uh, this year. I may take a couple extra weeks off or whatever, um, but I'm going to on a regular basis. I'm not going to prepare, and I'm not going to preach, and I'm not going to be here. When I take sabbatical here, several of those weeks, usually I get about eight weeks. I could get eight weeks this year if I wanted them. Uh, they would allow me to do that. I wouldn't be gone completely. I just wouldn't be preaching every Sunday during that time. That's such a relief of pressure to not have to come up with a message. I mean, you got to come up with a new message every every week. And the type of church I've got is way different than what I've pastored in the years gone by. So I can't rely on those old sugar sticks. I've been here long enough that I've, I've preached all of those, you know. And so it's something brand new every week. But... Uh, I try to get a little bit of time away on a regular basis, uh, even if it's just me and my wife or just me alone. Uh, I try to take some time. to. This helps to secure against that where I plan my whole year of preaching. Uh, I'll take an extended time away and sit down and pray and seek the Lord and look at things and plan my calendar for the next year. I've just found with me being a working uh, pastor and as busy as I am, I have to do that. I can't wait till Saturday night to know what I'm going to do on Sunday. I just can't. Uh, just don't work for me that way. And I mean, I've got. We're changing our church year from calendar year to physical year this this year that will match KBC on um, for all of our reporting in that and our year will end when it ends and starts when it starts. And so I've got it planned through the end of August. So sometime here before long, I'll be getting away. I've already started working on it a little bit for next year's preaching calendar. Preparation and planning has helped me more than anything. I'm a procrastinator by nature. <laughs> you also have hobbies. You 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 hunt. You take your family hunting, and and folks will be surprised that occasionally you take your wife to a play. I, I think I've heard you say that. Um, uh -huh. You yeah, also uh, you you do this thing called noodling. So tell us what noodling is, and and what I you like. I haven't noodled in the last couple of years, but I have noodled a whole lot. Most people have seen that on television where you go down and catch catfish. Us and some friends, we put in, I don't know, near 100 bathtubs, cut the end out of them and mark them, put them in and know where they're at. And you walk up there and somebody block the hole and somebody check, see if there's a fish in it. If it is, grab them, get it out. That's always a lot of fun. We jug. We do a whole lot of jugs. A lot of people put out about... 10 or 20 jugs. We usually, two or three boats, put out about 200 jugs, and uh, we'll camp and, and do that. We like to do that. And then, But the biggest thing I do is duck hunt. Uh, I, I duck and goose hunt, go to Canada uh, every year. I don't know what that's going to look like this year. They extended the date from the end of June to the end of July now. Maybe if you can travel. So if I can't travel to Canada, we'll go to North Dakota again or somewhere. Yeah, those are, I mean, those are fun things. Every, every pastor's got to find something in, in their life, kind of an, an outlet. 
let me um, let me talk about real quickly your discipleship process at River Woods. It's not enough for any pastor. I know it's not enough for you just to see folks go through the baptismal waters and then take their place in a pew. You all are pretty intentional about trying to develop um, disciples. Yeah, we, we are. We do. We, we've kind of readapted the bases by Rick Warren. We call those next steps is what we call those. And basically, we're trying to give that basic understanding of what it means to be part of a church and a follower of Christ and how really we're trying to teach people to grow themselves, uh, you know. And so we do a next step one, two, three, and four, step one, two, three, and four. And we do those to coincide with the Sunday of the month. And so we'll do step one on the first Sunday, step two, second, step three, and step four. And uh, uh, step one is discover Riverwoods, uh, what we are, what we believe, where we're headed, our core values, purpose, vision, all of those things, philosophy of ministry. And usually we provide lunch with that. Oh, I forgot. Let me back up one step. I'm sorry. We actually do a... a uh, pastor's breakfast is the first one. We do that the last Sunday of the month, and we swap this. We alternate this between Benton and Murray. Uh, like in January, we'll do it at Benton. February, we do it at Murray, vice versa, like that. And we invite them to pastor's breakfast, and we introduce them to the ministry of the church, the leaders of the church. That's the first one from there, step one. And we feed lunch with step one. I tell them after that, it's no more meals. <laughs> Uh, and then step two is the, basically the Rick Warren stuff, how to study your Bible, how to grow yourself. Uh, step three, what it means to be part of a church and spiritual gifts. And then step four is to be on mission, to share your message. God's got you here on planet Earth, and you need to share your message. Well, and, and you, you all have seen real fruit. You've seen your leaders, as you said, have come through that process. You've raised up the folks who are serving in leadership positions in, in your church. My guess is, Darren, if someone said to you, we just don't have enough leaders in our church. Uh, what would your answer be? Pray more. Yeah, pray more and raise them up, probably develop them. <laughs> yeah, the reason I said I've said pray more. Uh, you know, Jesus said, uh, "Labors into the harvest." Yeah, you need to ask Him for the labors. Uh, and everybody says we don't have any leaders. That tells me there's a prayer problem mm. uh, to begin with. He said that if we would pray, He would provide them. And so that's what I'm coming. Pray you therefore to the Lord of harvest, and he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And so I come from there. But then the other thing is, what are you doing to produce leaders? And then the third thing is, are you going to trust them and release them? Uh, you know, you got if you're going to produce leaders, you've got to empower them to become leaders. Yeah. Pray, prepare, propel. Pray yeah. for them, prepare them for the work, and then propel them in, in, into it. Uh, Darren, last question. Right, that'll preach. <laughs> that'll, that'll preach. Three points, and I'll peace. On your on your marriage, how do you keep from letting ministry take over your marriage and keep your 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 relationship with Karen uh, Car Carolyn Fresh on track? Uh, sometimes that's a challenge. Uh, and uh, the great thing with with my wife, she's involved in ministry as much as I am. In fact, she's around the actual physical building. Uh, and and operations more than I am. She's here more than I am. She's involved with the Riverwood Recovery Ministry, Celebrate Recovery Ministry, and um, hands on most everything. So it's not, for me, that's kind of not fair maybe with some others. She's as called as much to this as I am. 
knew what she was getting into when she married me. Her grandfather was a pastor. And so it's kind of a fam- been a family thing and a team thing for us. Most of our discussions are about ministry and things that's, that's going on. Sometimes I have to tell her I don't want to talk about that anymore, <laughs> especially when you're dealing with personalities in Riverwoods Recovery. You know, sometimes that can dominate everything. And so... Uh, we just had to learn to do that. We understand, respect each other's space, try to get some time alone uh, periodically, and uh, really just both focused on expanding the kingdom was the biggest thing. Darren, I can talk to you all day. I love your ministry. I'm grateful for, for you. Uh, you're in a unique spot. You're, you started a church in Benton, and, and Benton's a smaller town than Murray, but now you've started a satellite church over in Murray. I know your heart is to see that multiplied all over. So I'm, I'm grateful for your good work. When I think of you, I think of, of Psalm 126, verse 5. You know that verse? No, I don't know okay. about you'll, you'll know it when you hear it. Uh, they that sow in tears shall yeah. reap in, in joy. It was said of Adrian Rogers that weepers are reapers and that he was a weeper and he was also a, a reaper. And so when I think of you, that's what I think about. I, uh, your, your heart breaks for lost people. And because of that, it propels you forward in your in your work, your love of God and love for people. Uh, my prayer is over you, Deuteronomy 111, that the, the Lord God of your fathers would make you a thousand times as many more as you are right now. And he'd bless you. Now, Carolyn would say, we don't need a thousand more Darren Millers. And, <laughs> right. and, we, and we, we probably don't. But we do need a thousand more with that heart of passion, vision, desire, work ethic, willingness to trust the Lord, take a risk, step out and do some things. Thank you for joining on me on Facebook Live, and thank you for being part of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. We're grateful for Riverwoods Church. Thank you, uh, Dr. Gray. Uh, good to call you my friend. Good to be part of this great work together. Let me let me pray for you before we cut loose. Dear Father, thank you for Darren, and thank you, Lord, for Riverwoods Church. Thank you, Lord, for the folks who've been saved, for that ministry folks that you've saved. Thank you for the leaders that have been risen up through there, raised up through there. Thank you for Randy. We pray your favor on Randy and his life. Pray, please watch over Darren and Carolyn. They're three adult children. They're grandchildren. And Lord, please use him to reach people uh, who are far from you and raise up disciples and leaders who will reach more people. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Leadership Lessons with Dr. Todd Gray. Find past episodes on our website at kybaptist.org slash leadership lessons.